This is a podcast from ABC Overnights. Here's Michael Pavlich. It's a very good morning to Jeff Apter. G'day, Jeff. Pav, good morning. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Talking about the remarkable life of Neil Finn, and it certainly is a remarkable life. What a talented man, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I, you know, as I was writing this book, I kept flashing back to the first time I saw him, which is got all the way back in 1979. And, you know, I, it's, I've bookended the book as it is with the first and last time I saw him. And the most recent time was just a few months ago down here in Wollongong. And, um, you know, it was 43 years had passed between these two shows. I'd seen him many times in between. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was really interesting. The first time I saw him was just before Split Ends recorded True Colours, and it was winter 1979, so they were about to go into the studio to make the record that completely changed their lives, you know, and certainly made Neil suddenly the front man of his big brother's band. And it was a very interesting time. Um, not the least, path because Jimmy and the Boys were the opening act, and if anybody's old enough to remember them, it was quite a lot for a 17-year-old boy from Padstow to take in, I can assure you. He was so young, so we should go back a little bit to... We've got to mention Tim, obviously, the older brother. He was already Mm. in the band Split Ends. Uh, They were playing around Auckland, doing lots of stuff. In fact, had had already come to Australia and had a bit of a... um, They were on uh, countdown by the time By the time Neil joined, they were in London, actually. They were in the Mm. UK. And the Neil was doing his own thing, writing songs, playing at folk clubs, that sort of thing. Uh, and then he got a call from his brother in the UK to say, hey, look, are you interested in joining the band? Because they'd lost a couple of members and Neil seemed like the obvious choice to replace them. It was odd, yeah. He was only 17 at the time, um, but he was Split Ends' biggest fan. You know, he, <laughs> he'd go to school with, you know, the name Split Ends written all over his pencil case and things like that. And he was at their first gigs, you know, snuck into the venue by his older sisters and he knew their music inside out. And also... He was a really, really accomplished musician by the time he was in his teens. He actually formed a band called After Hours, and one of the members was a guy called Mark Hoff, or who later became Buster Stiggs, who was a member of the Swingers, Counting the Beat. And, of course, the other key members of the Swingers were the late Bones Hillman and, um, and uh, Phil Judd, who um, you know, had been in Split Ends. So there's a really interesting sort of uh, almost incestuous nature to a lot of the music from that time and the split ends world. I've got here apparently just an aside there going back to it. Apparently that song is on Willie Nelson's 1993 album Across the Borderline. That's from Mark. Yeah, Thank you, Mark. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, so he's got this call. He's headed over to England at the age of 17, very young. Um, at first he was not, didn't feel like part of the band. He was a bit of an outsider, almost a, a gun for hire. They called him the Sandwich Boy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very derogatory <laughs> to be calling him. Well, Finn you know, the he's the youngest. Boy. and the, the guys had been playing by that time for a few years. And, and you know, they what had happened is they were playing in Australia and they did some supports for Roxy Music. And Phil Manzanera, the guitarist for Roxy Music, really liked them and said, come to London, I'll produce your record. And, hmm. you know, the, the circumstances occurred that managed enabled them to do that and it was a really interesting time for them to be there the late 70s because it was still sort of the the punk era and in their own weird way split ends sort of fitted in you know there's stories about susie sue from the susie and the banshees you know sitting on the front uh, the, the lip of the stage at their shows just staring intently at 
wacky old Noel Crombie, who was, you know, the oddest member in a, a group of oddballs, you know. So uh, there's all this interesting stuff, and the punks kind of liked them, but the punks weren't quite sure whether they were punk or not. <laughs> but, you know, their music certainly didn't fit in, but their look, you know, they were quite uh, yeah, quirky. art school. Yeah. There's a lot of art school in the way that they approach themselves with, you know, Noel Crombie, who anybody who knows the Spidens history, he's... Noel Crombie was the split ends what I think Nick Seymour became to Crowded House later on. You know, much more than just a musician. He had a sort of vision for the band. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where they met originally in New Zealand. You know, this uh, uh, on Auckland, Auckland University and most of them were studying fine arts or arts in some way, except for Tim. Tim was studying English. So, um, <laughs> you know, he was a sort of an outsider at the start, but um, a so, terrific front man. And then he invited, as I said earlier, he invited his brother into the band, who then, within a couple of years, was sort of becoming the other front man. So, a weird situation, Pat. Yeah, so at the age of 17, as you said, he got the call from Tim to, to fly to London to meet up with the band and start to play gigs. Um, he, at that point, he hadn't played much electric guitar at all. He only played his acoustic guitar. And getting some lessons off Phil Manzanera, if you don't mind. I mean, Not a bad start. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do fine. I mean, they had lots yeah, Eric of... Eric Clapton was busy, apparently. <laughs> They had lots of very influential friends and fans uh, split in, so they had made an impact over there. I just wanted to ask you, though, at the age of 17, how did his mum and dad feel about him leaving New Zealand? Well, we've got to remember, the Finns were a very sensible, uh, middle-class New Zealand family, lived in a sort of semi-rural part, Tiawamutu, which Neil went on to celebrate in song later on. They were a bit concerned. I mean, they wanted Neil to go into university and become... Their father was an accountant, for goodness sake. You know, they were a good, solid, um, hard-working New Zealand family. But I guess they also understood that, you know, Tim had pursued this dream and now Neil was pursuing a very similar one. And uh, I guess it was reassuring for them to know that Tim was already there because Tim being a few years older than Neil. But, um, Mm. yeah, they they were a bit apprehensive, no doubt about it. I believe it or not, I actually visited Neil's hometown when I was in New Zealand. <laughs> I drove past it once, Pav. It's really small. <laughs> it is small, isn't it? But we could we stayed there for the night. On oh, just, really? Just yeah. going on the whole thing that it was where Tim Finn or Neil Finn were born. So Neil said there's a great comment in the book. He said, um, you know, and he, he speaks very fondly and spends a lot of time going back and playing fundraisers and things there. But he said, Tiawamutu is the kind of place where a man would walk a mile to see another bloke's collection of twigs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there wasn't a lot going on there. And, you get fact, the picture. Yeah. yeah. We uh, got this text. Said, Can you ever find the version of Tim Finn singing Into Persuasion? Uh, with Richard Thompson, that must be Into Temptation, is it? With Richard Into Thompson, Temptation. yeah, great song. Richard great Thompson song. on guitar, Fairport Convention, and a wonderful musician. They did a bit of work together, didn't they? They did, and there's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, Richard Thompson had converted to Islam, and uh, when Nick, because Nick Seymour did all the Crowded House artwork, and I think it's Together Alone, the third album, he'd use the similar images to a lot of biblical uh, religious figures on the character uh, the cover and i think there's uh there might be muhammad and there's jesus christ and so on and richard thompson was very deeply offended by uh, this sort of light-hearted treatment of these deities so apparently they had a bit of a falling out but up until that time he'd worked pretty closely with uh, with neil and tim yeah yeah 
Phillips says wrong song, just persuasion. What, what was the name of the song they worked together Hang on? Hang on, no. Into Temptation is the Crowded House song, of yeah, course. Okay. Persuasion is the Tim Finn, and I believe he co-wrote it with Richard Thompson. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Some, as I said, Temptation, some... persuasion, come on, Pat. <laughs> it was the into part that threw us, I think, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, like I said, a lot of really influential friends. You mentioned Susie and the Banshee. Uh, but and uh, other English artists, Richard Thompson, but um, the American artists were also fairly influenced by Split Ends, and they found out that a little bit later. Not only the American artists, but also the American producers had a bit of a fancy for the band. Well, of course, and you know, um, Crowded House's uh, producer for their first few records was American Mitchell Froom, you know, who. Um, at that point was sort of a guy finding his way as a producer but became quite a uh, you know much sought after guy yeah it was it's very interesting split ends seem to be such an influential band and yet uh, commercially speaking you know they had a flashpoint with uh, true colors and maybe a couple of records in the wake of that but never really achieved the huge su- commercial success the crowder house did um, but yeah, they're the kind of band that uh, they would go to. They were big in Canada, for instance, or they'd go and play in you know certain cities in the US that they thought, well, no one's going to turn up, you know, and a thousand people would. Half of them would be musicians saying, oh yeah, I formed a band because of you. <laughs> so it was, a, you know, which must be, well, it must be incredibly uh, rewarding, kind of be frustrating at the same time, thinking, well, why didn't you go and buy ten records and tell all your friends, you know? <laughs> Because it cost a lot. I mean, it was a you know five six piece band that had to keep on the road, yeah. and they were based in Australia, and they're coming out of New Zealand. All those things add up and become very expensive to to basically keep a band afloat. There's a point in their careers where um, they were living on the dole in in England, in suburb, you know, kind of a a, a little village outside of London, and um, it took a. Uh, they applied for an arts grant for New Zealand and um, head of the board of the Arts Council, I think, was um, Ray Columbus of Ray Columbus and the Invaders. You know, she's a mod. And <laughs> Ray rubber stamped, I think it was about $5,000 to keep them going. You know, so it, it while they travelled and they had a lot of influential, um, they influenced a lot of musicians and had a lot of, um, I guess, critical success, Without, apart from True Colours, they really didn't sell a huge amount of records. Um, so it must have, it was a frustrating thing for them. You know, of course, Tim had far more commercial success with his first solo record, Escapade, and yeah. you know, which hastened the demise of Split Ends. Well, that's what I was going to say. So really, the end of Split Ends came about, in a sense, because of Tim's success as a solo artist, uh, and basically left the band and left Neil in charge. But it wasn't something that Neil really wanted to continue with, was it? I mean, it wasn't his band to start with. No, that's right. And keep in mind, too, Tim also fell in love with Greta Scarchi. And, um, you know, so he had this, and he, you know, he openly admitted it, that um, not only had he had uh, commercial success as a solo artist, but he'd fallen in love with this fantastic, this beautiful actress who was based in Europe, you know, working out of the UK. And so he really wanted to, to pursue that. And he said to Tim, uh, sorry, to Neil, Paul Hester had joined the band Split Ends about, I think, in the last year of their existence. And he pulled Neil aside and he said, do something with Paul, form a band with Paul, Paul's your guy, you know, because uh, he and Paul and uh, Neil were a similar age um, and both, uh, you know, 
I guess, similar in character in some ways. Paul Hester a lot more extroverted than Neil, but they seemed to get along really, really well. And it was the best advice that Tim ever gave Neil, that's for sure. Mm, yes, and a real character, real card, Paul Hester. And sadly, Mr. And I know his death would have uh, influenced... Well, both members of Crowded House and all the music seen in, in Melbourne and Australia in general. It was a tragedy when we lost Paul Hester. Uh, love to hear from you this morning, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. If you've ever seen Neil Finn, Split Ends or Crowded House live in concert, I'd uh, love to hear what you think of them, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. We've got Sean on the line. Good morning, Sean. Hey, mate. Good, thanks. Man, I, I own an album, and I still have it on cassette as well, the, the Corroboree album. Ah, yep. Mate, that has uh, the one step ahead on it, and that's Iris, the History Never Repeats. Uh, mate, it's a great album. I love it. My dad played it for me when I was about nine years old. Yeah. I'm almost 50, and I still play it on cassette and record. Classic. Uh, it is a great yeah. album. Different title in New Zealand, uh, Jeff. It's corroboree. That's right. It was Waita, I think, in New Zealand. They used the Maori word. They wanted to release it wherever they you know, had a market, uh, North America and UK, using a word that represented something similar uh, to the native indigenous people of that spot. It just became completely unwieldy. Could you imagine if they released it in 20 different countries with 20 different titles? People might get a bit confused. Uh, not to mention all the artwork that would have been required. And, and yeah, uh, I think that was the, the, if memory serves, that's the record that came after True Colours. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. All right. No worries, Sean. It's a great album. I hope you're still enjoying it. I love it, mate. I still play. My, my son knows it. He's, he's only 13, and my son knows it. That's great. So he's, he's, he's great. Three generations of Split Ends fans. You've got to love that one, Jeff. Yeah, well, I, well, like I said, when I saw Crowded House a few months ago, there was a, an interesting kind of generational thing going on. There were people, you know, I'm 60, there were people my age who'd been fans all along and probably remembered Split Ends, but there's also a lot of younger people as well. So it's definitely a case of people, you know, playing those records at home and their kids hearing them and going, wow, who the hell is that? You know, what a great songwriter. I got a text here that says, I remember when True Colours came out, I got you as a revelation in terms of Neil's songwriting talent. That's from Peter in Sydney. That's certainly true, Peter. And I've got this one as well that says, I think Tim was taught music at an early age by a nun. Six months in a leaky boat was banned in the BBC. Uh, when the Falklands War was on, says Bill. A couple of things there. Um, first of all, about that, uh, it was banned by the BBC. It had nothing to do with the Falklands War, but just because yeah, it mentioned it a was, leaky boat. It was, and it was unfortunate because it was climbing up the charts at the time in England, That's wasn't exactly it? right. That's exactly right. It was a real um, career stop of split ends. You know, they'd find... I Got You was a top ten single in the UK, and this was, you know, the next big hit... And, um, yeah, the Falklands War occurred. There were a bunch of other, like Don't Cry For Me, Argentina was banned, of course. You know, all these songs with very, very tangential kind of relationship to what was going on. They were just overly sensitive towards it and banned them all. And, and the airplay really killed the song. And going back to the nuns, yeah, actually, it was two um, brothers, the brothers Durning, who um, spent a lot of time with the Finn family uh, on holidays and when they were growing up, and they were a really big musical influence on both Neil and Tim very early on. A couple of singing brothers. Singing brothers, And they were, right. they were brothers, but they were also brothers, yeah? <laughs> that's right. Religious brothers. Yeah, <laughs> uppercase and lowercase, I think, Pat. All right. Just got a, a guest, special guest wants to come in and uh, mention something. He's a local boy in Melbourne who's a bit of a fan of uh, the band and... Very good morning, Sammy Joe. Good day, Sammy. I was travelling in. Yeah. I heard you talking about my favourite band, my favourite artists. I had to check the news headlines, make sure it's all a good news story. Just 
yes. celebrating the situation. They're both still alive, don't worry. <laughs> but some of the most formative uh, songs, artists of my life, growing okay. up in high school, listening to Crowded House every night. First artist I ever saw live, Neil Finn, Festival Hall. Really? 1998. Wow. He'd just gone solo, try whistling this. He's a hell of a songwriter, isn't he? You, do you like the later catalogue as well? Everything. Mm. It's, it's the, uh, the fact that he's spent an entire career mixing things up, I'm never gonna, settling. I'm going to make you jealous here, Sammy. <laughs> um, I uh, saw him do an intimate gig when I was working at Triple J. Jeff, you're going to love this as well. Mm. Oh, sorry, Sammy, Jeff, Jeff, Sammy. Hello, Jeff. Lovely, lovely to listen to the chat. Uh, like we, when I was working for Triple J, they had a special guest for one Christmas party. We were all having our Christmas party at the Tamarama Life Saving Club, and the music director comes in and goes, look, you know, we've got a special guest for you. Sure enough, Neil Finn walks in with his guitar, and he sat there in front of 30, 30 of us at the, of the staff, and he just played with his guitar, taking requests from the, wow. all the stuff. It was unbelievable. And, of course, people outside walking past the life saving club could hear this noise coming out. And before long, there were all these faces <laughs> lining up from the window. Incredible. Pressed against the glass. In 2001, he was here doing some shows with the MSO, and Michael Looney had written some poetry, and Neil put it to music. Oh. And um, as part of that, he appeared on the, on the panel from memory with Richard Tognetti, and I turned up. Snuck in as a, I think, a seventeen-year-old to watch the panel on Channel Ten because Neil Finn was on. And if you watch the footage on YouTube, you can still hear someone, a little high-pitched sort of teenage <laughs> voice, go yeah! in the background. And that was me. Uh, almost derailed the performance. Have you got a favourite song? Oh, you know what? Um, she goes on by hmm. uh, from Woodface, okay. uh, Crowded House. A bit of a sort of B-side, but it's a gorgeous song. And I heard uh, the caller mention Persuasion as well by Tim Finn, of course. Mm. Beautiful number as well. Have you seen the live concert, the last live concert he did in Auckland? It is phenomenal. The last time, no, the last time I saw was the 20th anniversary okay. Sydney Opera House, Crowded House show. Didn't oh, yes, make it to 96, yes. far too young, but, but travelled up for that one. But no, not this most recent one you're the, mentioning. There was a concert in Auckland, they released a video from it. Uh, Jeff, did you, have you mm. seen that? No, but I did see that if it's from the last tour, it's, it would have been a similar show to the one I saw here in Wollongong. Yeah. It, it really is outstanding quality. Uh, and Mitchell Froome's playing organ and stuff. I'm glad to know you're a fan of uh, Neil Finn. Uh, it's life-changing, in fact, you know, the catalogue of the Finns yeah. entirely uh, for me. And um, can I say, Pav, great to hear you. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks and Jeff, lovely to hear you before chat Pleasure. as well. <laughs> Sammy J, of course, you can catch him. He's the breakfast presenter on ABC Melbourne. And if you're not in Melbourne, you can listen to him on the ABC Listen app anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Uh, yeah, obviously a big fan there. Sammy's a, you know, no slouch as far as a musician himself. Should he be Jeff. in bed? No, he's getting up to do breakfast radio. Oh, right, of course, of no. course. Uh, so, look, we get have a chat to George. G'day, Georgie. Gee, guys, a bit of pressure following Sammy J. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll be right, mate. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, I'm a huge uh, Split Ends and uh, Crowder House and Neil Finn and Tim Finn fan. I uh, literally follow them from, uh, well, I first heard them on Triple J, or Double J as it was then, on a live recording of the Split Ends before Tim joined, and I was hooked from, from that point. And, uh, um, you know, I've seen Neil and Tim, uh, Neil and so many combinations with orchestras and, you know, with Paul Kelly and, you know, you name it, with, with his wife and playing in later years. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to focus, uh, if you just wanted me to just focus on something unusual, I, I actually saw what was one of the first concerts, I think, that Neil Finn ever played 
with Fred Ends when he joined them in uh, in Sydney. I think it must have been the State Theatre or the Capital Theatre. I can't remember which one. But uh, he performed a uh, a rare song, the first song he ever performed with Fred Ends, I think. And I wonder if Jeff actually can name it. No, you got me on the spot. I can't. I, yeah, I don't no, know if it's ever been recorded. There was a few co with Tim before. You know, obviously, I got you was the big breakthrough song. No, I'd have to read my book. I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I know. I know it was one that he actually wrote on his own, and yeah. uh, it's called Platform Three. Oh, okay. This is the song called. that he wrote with After Hours, which was his ba- the only band he was ever in before Split Ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I know this because I was a member of the uh, Split Ends fan club, the <laughs> Friends of the Ends. All <laughs> oh, right, so you would know Peter Green, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was a, a stalwart, obviously, of the of, of the fan, and it was a very strong fan club, actually, for a, for a, a quirky indie band. Uh, they they really had a a strong following and put on a lot of little events and picnics in the park and meet and greets and all kinds of strange little bits and pieces. And I mean, then, they were, they were and meant to be a very good band after hours, but, you know. And it was, he had to really think twice about leaving them and joining Split Ends, I believe. Yeah, I mean, they were about to make their first record. You yeah. know, they had they had plans and. Then and the call came in to Neil and he was really torn. You know, he he knew that he was going to work in a band that was vastly different to the one that he'd put together himself. And that was really important, you know. And and the big thing about Crowded House, of course, was it was Neil's band. It wasn't Tim's band anymore. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, there was the situation when he brought Tim in to his own band and the complications that ensued from that. So, um, yeah, I, I, it would have been interesting to see where After Hours might have gone if they'd stayed together, certainly. A couple of things George also mentioned there. It was about the diversity of the sort of performances that they did as well. I mean, they were really, he, they took on everything. But within that, I mean, he's obviously got to be a very good businessman, Neil Finn, because it's, he's running a whole entourage of people. I mean, must be employing 20, 30 people in the... the well, he runs a studio too in Auckland. Yeah, that, he's got a studio right. as well. So the, um, the, the crowded house machine must take a fair bit of running. So he's got a bit of a nouse about him. Yeah, and I think that's also one of the reasons why you'll see Crowded House will appear and then disappear for an extended period of time. I mean, technically speaking, they broke up in 1996, you know, but then I think it was, what, after the death of Paul Hester, Neil was working on a solo record and he thought, oh, I might get Nick Seymour to come in and play a bit. And before you know it, it became the next Crowded House record, um, Time on Earth. Mm. So he's he's never really locked into you know a lot of bands they lock into that formula where they just keep making record after record they record their tour they record their tour it's never really been like that for neil for a long time probably the last certainly the last 20 odd years most projects that he do will be a counterpoint to what came before Mm. Uh, nicholas good morning yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Look, I just find uh, the fascinating period uh, in between the earlier, uh, if you would like to characterize them as quirky experimental albums of split ends, uh, contrasting with their commercial uh, blockbuster True Colors and the album that came after that. It's a perfect example of the way a band can uh, still retain some of the uh, originality and uh, uh, interesting flavor of their mm. earlier years uh, and break through in a commercial context. Yeah. And um, Yeah, they kept the quirk. Yeah. They kept the quirk, but they wrote more commercial songs, basically. And also, I suppose, that Neil became a lot more central to the songs that they were writing and, in fact, wrote, 
probably many of their biggest hits in, in many ways. While still looking over his shoulder and going, this is my big brother's band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, Nicholas. G'day, Matt. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. What did you want to say? Yeah, yes, well, you know, I saw Paul Kelly uh, at Breaking the Drought concert. Oh, I must have been in the 80s, um, and I was hooked on him after that. Um, and then I saw him live with Paul Kelly at, at a winery in Victoria, um, and I think I remember an interview with Paul McCartney. Um, he actually said, "What?" someone asked Paul McCartney, what's it like being the best songwriter in the world? And he said, well, I don't know, ask Neil Finn. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've heard that That's as well. A, he was a, a fan like of Paul McCartney, wasn't he? There's a, there's a similar story where someone asked Eric Clapton, how's it feel to be the best guitarist in the world? And he said, well, you better go and ask Prince. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> fair enough, too. Uh, there's a good story. Mm. Thank you, Matt, very much for that. And Peter as well. G'day, Peter. I'm really enjoying this um, conversation um, in your program. Thanks. Um, yeah, when I was six years old in 1984, supposedly, um, yeah, my father was working as a security guard in, in somewhere in St Kilda in Melbourne. Um, I believe it was a place called VTC, and he saw um, the recording of Six Months in a Leaky Boat. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, don't have much access, access to the internet at the moment, but um, if you could do, if you could verify that, whether they... Pretty, yeah, my father was adamant they recorded six months in a leaky boat um, in some type of sound studios somewhere down in St Kilda. They were certainly living in Melbourne. It was Periscope Studios. Was it Periscope Studios? No, that was that was later on. That was when they were doing Woodface. Okay. Um, but yeah, crowded. Uh, sorry, split ends at that time were based in Melbourne. They lived in Sydney as well. Um, there's actually a great story. When they lived in Sydney, they lived. God, once upon a time when you can afford an apartment in Rose Bay, which is one of the leafier oh. suburbs, inner city suburbs, uh, sorry, Harborside suburbs, while they're writing the songs for um, True Colours, Tim was upstairs and Neil was downstairs and they were shouting out possible song titles to each other. Can you imagine <laughs> what that was like? What do you think about I Got You, Tim? Not bad. Carry on, you know. So um, they... They sort of collaborated but didn't really collaborate, if you know what I mean. They would yeah. always sort of write independently of each other, but then would be the sounding board, the, probably the first person they played those songs to. Hey, we're going to run out of time here, Neil. We haven't even got to talk about uh, Fleetwood Mac. Sorry, Jeff. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is yeah, a pity. Well, that's a, we, that's, you know, it's in the book, Pav. Yeah, look, we can either check the book out or maybe we'll get you back for part two, I reckon, Jeff. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> hey, great talking to you again. That's Jeff Apter, their music writer. And biographer, he's written this book there. It's called Don't Dream It's Over, The Remarkable Life of Neil Finn.